my first lesson I called the seven leadings of God. And I make this distinction. I'll read you this first paragraph and I'll elaborate as we go. In recent times, being led by the Holy Spirit has been a very needful and popular message. How to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's been a very needful and popular message among the church in general and Pentecostals in particular. And this message was needful in order to improve the Christian's accuracy in service to Christ and honestly to help prolong our life. A lot of missionaries die prematurely because they're not supposed to be over there in the first place. Good idea, but not a God idea. But as with all doctrines and teachings, the message of how to be led by the Holy Spirit is now in need of pruning. And so these lessons have been written with the intention of pruning, tweaking, and reasserting how we as Christians are to be led by God, not just by the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about a voice, the inward witness, the still small voice. But if that's all we look for, then we'll bypass six other leadings of God Almighty. And so I want to broaden it while including the message of how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because when we teach how to be led by the Spirit, and you see a minister such as me operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and I say something like, I just heard the Lord say, then you think that's all that being led by God looks like is a voice that we can articulate. And that's not always 100% accurate or exact, uh, we often put words to what we can perceive by the Spirit of God. And we might say, I, I believe the Lord's telling me here, there's some people here that hurt tonight. So it's something I perceive by the Spirit of God as the pastor. I'm putting words to it. So when you think you're being led by God, you're looking for voices and words. And that isn't the full picture. So I'm expanding the teaching and pruning some of Pentecostalism and also wanting to show us what it means to be led by God. But in order to do that, I have to prove to you first that God still talks. I was raised Baptist. They didn't believe God spoke anymore. Now, some of them, now I say this about Southern Baptists because I still run with them and I still preach like a lot of them. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist pastor and missionary. And we still have great friends. In fact, I was going to ask Dr. Joe Wiles to come and preach for me while I was gone. He's, he is the Southern Baptist guru in this region, tremendous man of wisdom, faith, and experience, but he couldn't. He was supposed to preach this morning, but then, then again, I was here, so it all worked out. I have learned as of recent years, Baptist pastors do believe God talks to them, but they won't admit it among each other. They'll come talk to us Pentecostals because we get it. We understand what it means to hear from heaven. But I have to convince us first that God does want to talk to us because why would he stop? If one of the things the Baptist taught me is that it's not about religion, it's a relationship. And one of the things a relationship has is two-way communication. So if all I'm doing is talking to a God who never talks back to me, all I have is an idol. And I know Baptists will agree with that statement. Oh, he's not an idol. He's the true and living God. Yeah, living people talk. Living gods can communicate. So in the beginning, it must be pointed out that not every Christian believes that God still speaks. Sadly, they are ignorant and may render themselves of little benefit to the kingdom. If you don't believe God still speaks today, you'll never be accurate in your assignment he's given you. And if you're not accurate, you won't finish your race because you've only given so much time to run it. And there, there, there's check marks and gates you have to hit along the way to finishing your race. 
Beginning with the creation of Adam and Eve, God demonstrated his desire to fellowship, communicate, guide, command, and help mankind. So we look at Genesis as the book of beginnings. In hermeneutics, the science of hermeneutics, which is the school of interpretation. Hermeneutics is a Greek term. It comes from the Greek means interpretation. Hermeneutics is really just the interpretation of ancient texts. We apply it to scriptures because they are ancient texts to us. In the laws of hermeneutics, there's a law called the law of first mention and the establishment of first uh, presentation. And if the first thing we start seeing about God is that he makes a person and he talks to them, that's of utmost importance. To think that God would make man and he stopped talking to them after Jesus? Oh, we have not more value than Adam and Eve? They rebelled. We submit. They cursed. We bless. Now, you got to believe he's still talking to us. He may not walk with us in a bodily form like he did Adam and Eve. He may not appear to us in an angelic form like he did to Joshua and Moses and the others, but we have the inward witness. We have him on the inside. Now we are the tabernacle. We ought to expect him to be a lot more communicable with us than anybody ever. Amen. The Lord walked and talked with Adam and Eve. God's fellowship with mankind included blessings, commands, assignments, and corrections. Go to Genesis. Let's look here. I'm going to lay this foundation, and then what I'm going to present this, this evening are the, a basic overview of the seven leadings of God, and I'm probably going to tell you a story I've never told you before. Uh, i got to see if I have permission to. Genesis chapter 1. Let's look briefly at what the book of beginnings relates to us about our God and his desire as revealed with the first man and woman. He did this because it pleases him. God does this because it pleases him. Uh, we could turn Calvinist if you want to and say, who are we to question? <laughs> he's divine. He's sovereign. If he wants to talk, it's because he wants to talk. And we believe he still does talk to us. We'll look at the seven leadings of God as we establish this thing. Genesis 1, verse 28 says, And God blessed them. He created man in his own image. He blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Look, God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it or dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so we see here God speaks from the very beginning because how else does God communicate but through speaking? And his speaking first and foremost blesses. He blessed them and said and he gives them an assignment. And so I've, I've got it here. I've got a five-point assignment. God's will could only be accomplished. And here's what we've got to catch. If God can't speak, how does he accomplish his will? How can we be judged according to his will if we don't first know his will? Now listen, we'll get into the scriptures here as far as that's one of the ways God leads us. In fact, that's the number one way. So don't worry. We'll, we'll cover that thoroughly. And just if you want to squawk and say, well, God speaks to us from the word. All right, then why don't you study it more? I'll swat you there. Because Americans don't know their Bible. When we were in Nigeria 10 years ago now, nine years ago, Pastor Akwoku, no, no, uh, Brother Ekbone's four-year-old and two-year-old quoted the entire books of the Bible to us. And that's when I realized, wait, children are intelligent. In fact, we have it on video. And they had a little song. They go, Jude, Jude, Jude. Uh, wait, John, 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 Jude and the Revelation. To see precious little Nigerian children, two and four, singing all 66 books of the Bible. And we still fumble through the minor prophets. 
think Habakkuk is something that under 18 you shouldn't be able to buy or smoke. (laughs) And you think Malachi is an Italian named Malachi. (laughs) I know he speaks to the scriptures. I'm the one writing the curriculum. We'll get there in a minute. But how can God communicate his will if he doesn't speak? God's will only, could only be communicated if he first revealed it to Adam and then gave him his assignment, Adam's assignment. God blessed them first, and then he gave them five commands or commandments. We want the blessing of God, but we don't understand that from the book of beginnings, the blessing comes so we can fulfill the commands. The American church just wants blessings. They don't want assignments. And that's why TBN is so popular. You can come and get your blessing on. Ow! Came to get my blessing on. I believe I receive now. Blessing cometh to me now. That's a bunch of spiritual whoredom. That's selfish carnality. That's America and capitalism and materialism mixed with a little bit of truth, not much. The blessing comes first to fulfill the assignment. And God has an assignment for every one of us, so he has to be able to speak to us concerning it. So he has a five-point assignment for the first two human beings ever. Number one, be fruitful. Number two, multiply. That means make children. Number three, replenish the earth. That means there's a population missing. He wants it refilled with people. God's will is people. It's not abortion. God's will is people. God's will is people. God's will is people. Number four, subdue. That means you have authorization to put things under your feet. You do not have permission to exalt animals to family status. That is animal idolatry, borderline bestiality. Subdue every creeping thing that creepeth. Don't give them a Facebook page in a sweater that says Mommy's Little Fur Baby. That's bizarre and perverse. Psalms 8 says, What is man? You've made him a little lower than the angels, but you've put all creation under his feet. And America, only America, unlawfully and illegally violating the scriptures, takes a dog and exalts it to the status of family. That's heresy, and it's a perverse heart. In the beginning, it was not so. Just want to throw that out there for you animal idolaters. I'm not against dogs. I'm not against cats. But they are not family. They're under our feet. Sometimes we skin them and wear them on our feet. Your family member is another culture's dinner. And you would judge them for being cruel They would judge you for being perverse. Amen. And the fifth point of their assignment was have dominion. God gave man dominion from the beginning. And this is an assignment. The ability to subdue is a tremendous responsibility, and the command to have dominion is a tremendous burden. Now, I wonder you have to be blessed, because it takes a tremendous blessing of God to obey him. But he communicated all this by speaking to man. God set boundaries and parameters for man, then communicated them to him. God cannot righteously judge if he does not first communicate his expectations. So again, I'm answering the question, well, God doesn't talk anymore. Then how do you know your parameters? How do you know your permissions if he doesn't communicate in some form or fashion? He's unlawful, unrighteous to judge us if we trespass a boundary or a parameter that he first didn't very clearly explain to us. 
And so he does the same thing to Adam and Eve. He says, I'll just read it to you in uh, Genesis 1, 29 and 30, and then 2, 16 and 17. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food. I've given every green herb for food. And it was so. There's a boundary there. It's for food, not smoking, you pothead. That verse right there has been used by every dope smoking hippie. He's given us every green herb for food. For food. For food. If you're a King James guy, for meat. Not for rolling and smoking. Just because you call it an herb doesn't mean God thinks of it the same way you do. It says, I gave it for food. Not even tobacco is permissive for smoking or getting a nicotine high off of by dipping it or, you know, vaping it or whatever your next stupid thing is. Now we're dealing with sin at the same time, apparently. Put down your animal idolatry. Put down your tobacco addiction. We think of addicts as just like being chemical addicts. People are animal addicts, too. They are addicted to the dopamine that a dog licking their face gives them. They're addicted to the feeling of importance that you're supposed to find in fellowshipping with humans that you get with a dog or 16 cats. God set forth the limit, too. Noah, I got a rule for you, son. Two. It's all you need. Two. It's all you need. Just you need two. And as they reproduce in the year, eat them. What do you think they ate for a year? They had a floating butchery. Amen. All right, I don't know why we're going all these different directions. I have a lot of curriculum to cover. But maybe some of you are smoking dope and loving cats. And I'm not sure which is the greater sin. <laughs> and if we're offending you, we have exposed your idol. That's <laughs> something like, I may smoke a little bit of dope, but I ain't no dirty cat lover. <laughs> Chapter 2 says, And the Lord commanded of the man, commanded, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So he's giving perimeters and a parameter now. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it, for the day thou eat it you will surely die. And so we clearly see that from God's will, uh, see that God's will from the beginning was to fellowship with man and communicate with him, both assignments and parameters. We are still under the same spiritual law. He gives us assignments and he gives us parameters. He has to be able to communicate that to us. Every one of us doesn't do the same job. Every one of us doesn't exist for the same purpose. We exist to accomplish different things. And though we'll get to it, the number one way we are led by God is through the scriptures. The scriptures are not person-specific. They give us good generalities in some areas, tight uh, assignments in others, but we don't know who to marry from the scriptures. We know who not to marry, but we don't know her name or his name. We don't know the name of the church to go to from the scriptures. We know what churches not to go to from the scriptures. So he has to be able to communicate to us more accurately than the scriptures because they're generally given flawless, without error, 66 books completed 2,000 years ago, but he has to be able to lead us through nuances as well. Today, we're still under the same two spiritual laws of commandments, assignments, and parameters. He has to be able to communicate that to us, and any Christian that doesn't believe God still communicates is going to never finish their race because they don't even know they have one to begin with, and if they did, what's it look like? You got to admit, he's got to talk to you. 
or else why pray? And if he doesn't answer you, then you're no different than the Baal worshipers who cried unto their gods. And Elisha said, cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's gone away on a long journey. He hasn't returned yet. If you don't believe your God talks to you, why do you pray? Are you just Catholic? Hail Mary, full of grace. Rub a bead. Light a candle. Come on, we're better than that. But we have to answer these questions because not everybody believes God still talks. He's God. He can talk and do what he wants to. It is a blessing anytime God speaks to man, but divine leadings and fellowship also involve commands, assignments, corrections, and help. Why would we expect the heart of God to be any different today? We all believe that we are to have a relationship with God and that we are to enjoy fellowship with the Lord, but neither relationship nor fellowship exists without two-way communication. I have neither relationship with my wife nor fellowship if we don't communicate both ways. If all she ever does is talk and I never answer, there's no fellowship. If all I ever do is talk and she doesn't answer, there's no fellowship. And if there's no fellowship, there is no relationship. But God is a living God. He is a God that communicates. He is the Word made flesh. That is one of the, the most unique attributes of his person, his person, is that he is the Word. He's the Word. Who, who is he? He's the Word. What Word? His own Word. That's who he is. Words are no good unless they're communicated. So I say this to encourage you. God wants to speak to you. It's not always this divine voice that you will hear me or see me demonstrate in services because I don't hear like that outside of church. And I want to be very clear with you. When you see ministers or pastors or preachers hear from God, it's their office. It's their ministry gift doing it. It's not what we do in private. We don't go home and I have a word from the Lord while we're cooking fettuccine alfredo or whatever, cutting the grass, or we don't have a word from the Lord in a cave when we're having fun. It's not like it is in service. These are the gifts of the Spirit. They manifest to profit with all. We very rarely have them on our private life. So don't try to compete with a five-fold minister or a full-time minister who's perfecting 100 people or 500 people or 5,000 people. That's not the primary way we're going to be led, though it is a way. I want you to understand that God is going to lead us. So here we go. We're going to get into the seven leadings of God, and we're not going to go into any depth today, but in our Sunday school curriculum that we're building, we'll cover each of these in depth. So I would encourage you to come back on our Sunday schools for the month of March because uh, this is needful. If you're like me, we were taught to be led by the Holy Spirit, so everything was about pinpoint accuracy. And what we did is, and I got this way, some of you probably did too, as we were trained in this 20 and 30 years ago, we'd be like getting real quiet, trying to hear a voice. Got nothing. Maybe I'll get quieter. And we, we thought all the leadings of God were a divine voice. But 1 Corinthians warns us that there are many voices. So we have to be careful. And as charismatics, Pentecostal word of faith, the devil knows how we endeavor to be led. And if you don't think he can't fake that for you and pass himself off, we're, that's a little mistaken. We got to uh, be mindful of that. And we need to be a lot more accurate. So the New Testament, born-again believers have been given more tools and abilities when it comes to being led by God. We've been given more tools and more abilities than anybody in times past. Our lives ought to be the most God-glorifying, 
gospel-reflective, wisdom-defined, truth-lived, decision-accurate lives in the history of mankind. If we have seven ways God leads us, we ought to be the most glorious, beautiful people on the planet ever. The Old Testament believers didn't even have a Bible. When the Torah was finally completed, only Moses had it, and it was read once a year. When the synagogue system was finally developed 1,400 years later, or excuse me, 1,000 years later in Babylon, every synagogue finally had copies of some of the Old Testament books, but not all of them, and they were kept. And when the, the rabbi or the, uh, the, the master stood up, they would hand to him the scroll of Isaiah the prophet or the scroll of Habakkuk the prophet or the scroll of Moses. And he would read and then expound and nobody got to go home with the scroll because they didn't have them. You still had to come on the Sabbath to be taught. The Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside people like he does today under the Old Testament. They didn't have fivefold ministry gifts and they, the ones they did have, they had prophet, priest, and king. They weren't on every corner like preachers are today. We have been given more ability to glorify God than has ever existed. But does it reflect that in your life? Now, at the same time, perhaps the balance is we have more distractions, more perversion, more availability to perverseness than ever before. And so maybe it balances itself out. And yet God is able to make more grace abound towards us. The remainder of these lessons will focus on the seven leadings of God, and I will only briefly introduce the leadings here. So number one, the number one way God wants to speak to us and lead us is through the Holy Scriptures. We ought to all be very familiar with that. That, that should not shock us. We all have a Bible. We will never teach sermons from the jumbotron because that makes lazy Christians. We will never fill in the blank that makes lazy Christians. <laughs> I picked on that a couple weeks ago. It never occurred to me. Because uh, some churches, if you don't know, they have their sermon already printed out and it's fill in the blank. I have friends that do this. I totally disagree with them. Because you're not going to make strong Christians that way. And so as you're preaching along, you're preaching from the same notes, but you've got all the answers. So you'll stop and say, our first blank is... Thus and so. And so the people will write it down. And yes, there's room in the margin of the notes for, uh, uh, for, for note-taking. But can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 going to the synagogue, as was his custom on the Sabbath, having delivered unto him the scroll of Isaiah the prophet and saying, finding the place where it was written of him, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has, first blank, church, first blank, anointed me. That's right. Write it down. Anointed. Can you imagine can you imagine, can you imagine the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ descending to the shallow depths of today's Christianity? How about the once a year when Moses stood up to read the law? Good to see everybody again 360 days later. Commandment number one, thou shalt not have, first blank, congregation, any other gods before me. Do you see how ridiculous it is? And yet that's modern Christianity in the West. 
It's an insult. We were driving in. We always pray. The girls are praying. So Abzi says, or maybe it was Lydia, they're praying, help daddy not to mess up and say everything and may everybody take 30 pages of notes. So she prayed tonight, 30 pages of notes. I said, wow, that's ambitious. I don't even know what I'm going to say yet. <laughs> the scriptures are the primary way God communicates to us today. New Testament believers have been afforded the written word of God in a form not available to man for 4,600 years. We have been given a Bible mankind did not have for 4,600 years of existence. Early New Testament believers only had the Old Testament. The New Testament was not completed until about 100 A.D. And then it was not canonized until the 4th century. So our New Testament was not put together as we know it until about the 4th century. So for only 1,600 years has mankind been afforded this. And we ought to know God better than the first century Christians did. But do you think we do? Because we don't give ourselves to this Bible. We give ourselves to Facebook, a book, entertainment, ESPN. And I'm not against these things if they're done in moderation. You ought to earn your time to do those other things by giving God the time he requires. Consider what God's word says about his own word he declares his word is forever settled under heaven. He declares his word is magnified above even his own name. He declares his word is more pure than silver tried seven times. He declares his word is truth. He declares the scriptures are given by God. They are God-breathed and therefore they are good for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. His word is the seed of our own salvation. We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, of the word of God that lives and abides forever. This is, this is our salvation. This is our spiritual DNA. When it says seed, it's, it's speaking of semen, sperm. The word of God is the divine sperm, forgive the crassness of it, that caused us to be born again. It is our seed, the seed of Abraham, the seed of God's word. That is our spiritual DNA. There in 1 Peter, it calls, it's the Greek word logos. The written word of God is our spiritual essence. That's why we ought to study it. It's in us, but do we even know it? His word is the seed of our salvation. It lives and abides forever, and it endures forever. That's 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. And then Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. The Holy Scriptures are a source of leading and the reason we are not led by the scriptures is because it's a source of leading that requires time, discipline, and mental comprehension. Studying the Bible to get direction requires time and discipline and mental comprehension. It's a practice. It's a discipline of life. Just like exercise is a discipline of life, uh, just like a diet is a discipline of life, a budget is a discipline of life, studying your Bible every day is a discipline of life. But if you get full of it, the word, you'll know what to do most of the time. And not to diminish prayer, but when you're full of the word, you don't require a lot of prayer. The word's just burping up out of you. You just know what to do. And we'll cover this more in Sunday school. But honestly, like if the Bible says abstain from any appearance of evil, that eliminates a whole lot of prayer. If it looks evil, I don't even have to ask God about it. If it looks evil, I don't have to fool with it. I, I recently ran into a friend of mine. He's a pastor, and he was out to lunch with two women. 
that are not his wife. And though I trust my friend, uh, and maybe these are fellow workers at his church, it still looks bad, and I would never do it. Can you imagine me going out to lunch with maybe Hannah and Miss Amy? It would not happen, because it appears at the least odd. And I'm going to have to call my friend this week, because he's been bugging me, and say, listen, I trust you, but I want you to know, if you've got to explain this to me, you don't ever need to do it again. See, when you know the Word, you don't have to be worried about being led so much. You are the leading because you're full of the word of God. It sets the boundaries. I love boundaries. I, I love laws. Laws eliminate a lot of decision-making. Don't touch that. Okay, don't even have to think about it. Don't jump off that. Don't even have to think about it. Just tell me what you want me to do and what you don't want me to do. It's a lot easier that way. Lawless people are reckless fools. Who are you to tell me what to do? Someone trying to save your life. Who are you? What do you know? A lot more than you. Look at you. Have you seen you lately? Have you seen your testimony? Do you appear in the paper on a regular basis? And not for receiving rewards <laughs> or awards. <laughs> Number two way we're led by God is the wisdom of God. The number two way we're led by God is the wisdom of God, and that's based on the Word of God. Wisdom is the principal thing. God's Word is the epitome of wisdom. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. It's the foolishness of man, but He is the wisdom of God. The Hebrews seek after a sign, or the Jews and the Greeks seek after wisdom, and Jesus is to us the power of God and the wisdom of God. His Spirit is called the Spirit of Wisdom. Many times we don't need to pray and fast as much as we need to ask, what does wisdom say here? Or is, there, is this a wise thing to do? When, many times when I go seek counsel, I'll ask my pastor or I'll ask the ministers around me, what's wisdom saying to you here? What is, what's wisdom say here? Especially when I was a younger man and making a lot worse decisions or making life-hindering decisions, I'd want to know, what is, what's wisdom say here? And some of you know my testimony. I spent about two, three, four years studying the book of Proverbs every week. I just consumed it to where I remember when I took over this church, every service where I preached, I'd probably quote 15 or 20 Proverbs because it was just in me so much. Pastor Darren told me he had a friend in the ministry. Pastor Darren was a, a pastor I served. I'm still very close to him. He said he had a friend that so knew the book of Proverbs, he could quote you the, nearly the whole book. He made every decision in life based on a proverb really required hardly any time in prayer for decision-making. Now, we need to pray, but didn't require so much prayer for decision-making because he had a proverb or five proverbs for every decision he'd ever make. Like, did you know if you knew the book of Proverbs, you'd never co-sign for anything in your life? Not even for roommates. Because the Bible in the book of Proverbs forbids co-signing because it says you're a fool if you co-sign anything. Unless, of course, you're husband and wife and then you're one person and it's not really co-signing. To them it is. To God, it's one person. Studying the Bible and knowing the Bible will automatically grow wisdom in your life. Sometimes wisdom is crying out so loudly, prayer isn't necessary at all. The Bible says in Proverbs that wisdom crieth out in the chief places. And what that tells us is that wisdom is painfully evident, except for when you don't want to see it. And you've got to figure out what wisdom is declaring to you. 
Jesus is called the wisdom of God in Proverbs chapter 8. But Proverbs also tells us in chapter 1, if you mock wisdom, God will laugh at you when your calamity comes. When you despise wisdom, part of wisdom is sitting down and trusting somebody more than you. Proverbs wisdom says, if you mock me, I will laugh when your calamity comes. And when you call unto me, I will not answer you. That's how lovey wisdom is. And that's why Proverbs says, call wisdom your bondservant and your sister and bind her about you like the chains of your neck. Let wisdom be your BFF. You got to get full of wisdom so that, honestly, even as a pastor, there's a lot of stuff I can judge and I can say, that's not God. How do you know? Because it's not wisdom. God gives us wisdom. Some things just aren't wise. And I've, been, I've made many mistakes and I've done stuff even as a pastor. I said, well, that wasn't wise. That was stupid. There ain't no wisdom in that thing. Wisdom is a source of leading based upon the scriptures, especially the book of Proverbs. And I would encourage every young person in here, and that would be maybe 30 and under, you ought to make Proverbs part of your daily Bible study. Read one proverb, the same proverb a day, all week. Read Proverbs chapter 1 every day for a week and just learn it. And then next week, move on to Proverbs chapter 2. It only will take you five minutes to read the chapter. And make that part of your daily Bible reading. And do this for months because you'll get it in you. You'll find yourself really improving your decision making. Modern man is really lame at decision making. We shoot ourselves in the foot and wonder why we're bleeding and our foot hurts. And then we're cocking the gun again. I just don't know what's wrong with my life. You don't know what wisdom is. Put the gun down, walk away, and find somebody smarter than you. If you're like 30 years old and your life hasn't gone somewhere yet, you need to walk away and trust somebody more than you and get some wisdom because your life is supposed to propel. This, uh, really, our nation is getting, our culture is getting more ignorant, our IQ's dipping. We might be able to work an app, but we can't work life, and there's no app for life. You need to, you need to find yourself a spiritual hero and look up to them and model your life after them, and if they're doing it, you should do it. So you can be better. Wisdom is a source of leading based upon the scriptures. It's based upon experience. It's based upon counsel. Get counsel. Get wise counsel. Before you build a tower, get counsel. Before you wage a war, get counsel. And all counsel, there's wisdom, there's safety. Get counsel. For me, some people, you guys think I'm, some of you think I'm greater than I am. Some of you don't think I'm very great at all. I don't really care what you think. It just... Anytime I go into something new, I always find the people who know that subject way better than me. And I'm always on the phone with somebody who's better than me on that subject or that arena. I'm always talking to my pastor. I'm always talking to, even if it's a secular wisdom, I'm going to call them up and ask them how to do something. And I'll get a second input, a second opinion, because I don't want to be stupid. I don't have enough time to waste living like a 22-year-old. I don't have the time to spare living like I'm 19 anymore. I got something to do for God and something to do for my wife and babies. So I'm not going to waste time reinventing the will. Even if it's a Muslim that invented the will, I'm calling him up and say, how'd you invent the will? And I'm going to establish a friendship. So it takes counsel and mental comprehension. And maybe that's why we kind of threw those out as we were being led by the Holy Spirit, because these aren't real spiritual, except they are divine. They're not spooky, except they're still God, because he is the word made flesh. 
And he is the spirit of wisdom. And so though it didn't make us look like some kind of guru or some kind of mystic, when you are led by the word and led by wisdom, you're still led by God. You can't just say, the Lord just spoke to me. No, it, sounds, it doesn't sound as spooky to say, well, the Bible says, because you sound like a Baptist. Thank God. You know, the Lord just spoke to me. Now you sound like a crazy matic, and that's so much better to us. I want to know what the Bible says. Truthfully, one of the reasons I, I, I don't quench the spirit when it comes to prophecy, I don't want to look like a TBN nut. And I don't want to pimp you or have the biggest showman mindset when I prophesy. I'd rather hear what the Lord says and then teach it to you for an hour and a half. That way you go home with it. I've heard so many prophecies, very hardly remember any of them. But if you give me a teaching for an hour on what the Lord is saying, I'll take that prophecy and I will make a life change based on it. We have really adopted in this nation because of our entertainment industry and culture, we have turned the gifts into spirit into a spectator sport. And we got to be very careful we don't continue in that direction anymore. So this is kind of why we maybe have looked down our nose at being led by the scriptures and being led by wisdom because they weren't as spectacular or mystical as the Lord spoke to me. Now, he does speak to us. But how about, give me five scriptures. How about what's wisdom? Say, give me three proverbs for what you're about to do. Number three way we're led by God is the peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God as a source of leading is the first source of leadership that begins to leave man's mental realm. This is the first source of leadership that begins to leave man's mental realm. Why? Because it's peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make any sense. Kind of like yesterday when I, excuse me, Friday when I'm about to get on this airplane for Nairobi. And I've, I've gone to Nairobi three times. This was going to be my 20th trip to Africa. I've done this a lot. This is what I do. I just know that getting into JFK, I told the Lord on the airplane out of Nashville, I said, Lord, if I still feel this miserable in JFK, I'm coming home. Uh, but I'm not going to even bother to try to hear from you till I get to JFK because I'm just, I'm just not. My mind's a mess right now. So I get to JFK and I still have no peace. And I can sit there and I can work it through my mind. This makes no sense. Why don't I have peace? I've been to Kenya many times before. Pastor Tom is one of my disciples. He calls me pastor. He's invited me. We've tried to go here three times now. This will be the third time I cancel. Nairobi's safe. I got my visa. I got my passport. I'm inoculated, vaccinated, got a still gut, got lots of money in my pocket. What could go wrong? Why am I going to break my word to this man? Nobody's warned me. Nobody said they had an unction. My wife doesn't have a bad feeling about this. I can try to reason this, but when you know the peace of God, none of it matters. It's almost like the man healed from uh, blindness, born, when born blind. He said, I don't know what to tell you. I just know I was blind, and now I can see. Do you want to know this, Jesus, so you can be his disciple too? I don't know what to tell you. I felt good, and now I don't, and I'm not getting on that airplane. Now, we were, now we're stepping into something a little more spooky because there's no scripture to explain why not this mission trip. Because missions is the Great Commission. Here, the peace of God does trump scriptures because we have a commission to go. Lord, your word says go. Lord, your word says go. But the spirit of God says, I wouldn't do that. Don't do it. Just stay put. Go back to the last place where you had peace. For me, I find the house of God, my church, is the safest place on planet earth. When in doubt, you go to the house of God. 
for all that preaching I did this morning, everybody that I was concerned wouldn't come back tonight did not disappoint. They did not come back tonight. And yet I know the trauma in their private life. Why would you not run to the house of God for rescue? Skipping church is going to improve your life? Heavens no. By definition, it will usually bypass our mental faculties and even defy them. Peace that passes understanding is it cannot be explained. Why we have it or don't have it, why things going a certain direction are not God or why they are God, we don't let it touch our mind. We lean not to our own understanding. All I know is I didn't have peace. I had peace in December making plans for Nairobi. I had peace in January when we bought the tickets. I had peace when we started lining everything up. I had peace when we started arranging things and recorded two services last week for Wednesday nights while I was gone. Peace. Felt good. And then you don't. And you don't really care. You just go with the peace of God. And that would be good for some of you and your friends. You get around people that they rob you of peace. Cut them out. You get around people that rob you of peace, you would be a fool to continue on with them. You'd be foolish. Why run with people that rob you of the Prince of Peace? You owe them nothing, unless you're married to them, in which case you need help. But if you're not married to them, you owe them nothing. No job. You owe no job anything. Give a two-week notice if they're teaching you to sin against God. Number four. We've only got three more after this, and you're listening so well. Because I'm going to introduce to you two concepts tonight that are going to be foreign to even you Pentecostals. But you've got to trust that I know what I'm talking about, and we'll hash it out in Sunday school. Number four is we're led by the Holy Spirit. So as I see it on my list, and I've been walking this thing out a long time now, the number four way we're led by God is by the Holy Spirit of God. Praise God. We've made that number one for 40 years, but really it should be about number four as far as I can see it. Led by the Holy Spirit. As with many doctrines and teachings, the church tends to generalize and lump subjects when the scripture exhorts us to rightly divide. We've had Caleb teaching on prayer because Brother Hagin taught for years the church tends to take all prayer, dump it into one sack, shake it up, then pour it all out together, but not all prayer is the same. You have intercessions, groanings, travailings, petitions, supplications, giving of thanks, tongues, praise. There's different types of prayer. They accomplish different things. So we tend to lump things together. We call them the gifts of the Spirit when the Bible calls them the manifestations of the Spirit. And we call all things prophecy when really there's a, general, there's a, a division. Not all things are prophecy. Some things are word of knowledge. Some things are word of wisdom. Some, some things are discerning of spirits. Some things are tongues and interpretation of tongues. But we call it all prophecy. We like to lump. Scientists don't like to lump. Scientists like to classify and sort. Because the more you can sort, the better shot you have at the next PhD. If I can find another way to divide ostracata. Do you know what an ostracot is? Of course you don't. You didn't have to take paleontology. An ostracot, according to evolution, is the precursor to a lobster. Except it's the size of a grain of rice. I had to sort ox ostracods as a project because my professor had a Ph.D. in ostracods. Now, I'm telling you, these are fossils the size of a grain of rice, actually half the size of a grain of rice. All the work was under a microscope, and you had to deal with this little pen. You would sort them. It's like pouring out sand under the microscope, uh, and then you sorted them, and you could actually classify and identify them by their little parts. They're the size of half a grain of rice. 
and you would move them over. And then we had this other thing here. We had horse glue and we'd glue them onto these little templates that were made just for ostracod sorting. Who knew this stuff existed? <laughs> and he was using us. I look back now, we were nothing but undergrad sweatshop for him, advancing his next paper for Exxon because you use ostracods to find uh, oil based on... Um, paleophases, which means soil or rock type based on uh, uh, fossil record. So he was using us to see if we could find these certain kinds of ostracods and sort them out. But the painful thing is right when you're like, sweet, I found one that will please my professor because you're just, you know, in college, you're just a kid. College kids are kids and you still want to please the guy who you think's 105 years old anyway, and knows all things according to geology. You want to please him. I look back and I think, that's messed up. And so you would go to sort it and you're like, sweet, there's the one he's looking for. And you'd go to touch it with the needle that you're sorting and it would go, pew. <laughs> How's it going over there, Chris? Going good, sir. Just, just sorting. You have any luck over there? No, none, none whatsoever. No. So somebody asked him, doctor, professor, sir, I won't name his name. Why did you get a PhD in ostracods? He said, because my entire life's work fits in a briefcase. Because <laughs> there are all these little micro slides. But he did work for Exxon and oil companies. That's what it's good for. Go where the money's at, even if it's a fossil. So I don't know how in the world we got off on all that. <laughs> Rightly dividing. Scientists... We're looking at grains of sand. Oh, no, no, those are fossils. And those are these kind of fossils. And those are those kind of fossils. We keep dividing it because you might get a PhD if you can find a new kind of ostracod that has a lump on its umbro that the others didn't, if you know what an umbro is. No, that's soccer. This is the same with the leadings of God. We tend to classify all leadings as being led by the Holy Spirit. These lessons will help us to rightly divide these other six leadings. Being led by the Holy Spirit is supernatural and divine. Jesus called the Holy Spirit a guide into all truth and a revealer of things to come. He receives of the Lord's and reveals it to us. Being led by the Holy Spirit is the will of God for every Christian. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And this, we, this is where I want to make a distinction, church. Being led by the Holy Spirit is what we can often call the still small voice the still small voice. And we have to distinguish that because every time we hear from God, it's not a still small voice. Sometimes it's a lot more thunderous. It's a lot more authoritative. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, what he does is confirm what we're reading in the scriptures. You read a scripture, you're reading a scripture, and all of a sudden you read a verse and boom, the Holy Spirit just presses down. And now the Spirit is bearing witness with the word that this is your verse because you're in trouble or you need to make this adjustment or you need to get away from this. But most of the divine supernatural that we're being led by is peace or the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. This is what all the books have been written about, the inward witness. We could obviously make the argument uh, that all of these have an, uh, an influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. He leads us in the Scriptures. He's, he leads us and guides us into all truth. The Word is truth. The Spirit of God... Uh, gives us the spirit of wisdom. So we know wisdom by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God helps us with the peace of God. If the Holy Spirit's not on it, we won't have peace. So we can generally say these are all leadings by the Holy Spirit, but yet they're separate and distinct, and we need to be mindful of that. So your number five way you're led is by preachers who are called the oracles of God. 
First Peter says, if any man teach or speak, let him be as it were the oracles of God. An oracle is not meant to be mystical sounding. It just means God's mouthpiece. Now that doesn't make us God, but why do you come to church to be preached to? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how shall they believe except they be sent a preacher? And so when the preacher preaches and people fall under the conviction of the gospel, that's God using that man or woman as an oracle to declare the word that the Holy Ghost rides upon and the people are being led and instructed by a person. Now I put the preacher fifth because really you ought to be masters at the first four. You ought to be masters at the word of God for yourself. You ought to be masters at wisdom for yourself. You ought to be masters at peace for yourself. You ought to be masters at being led by the Holy Spirit for yourself. And then when you come to church, the preacher just polishes you. The preacher just kind of realigns you, recalibrates you. You go out and you do your thing and come back and maybe I'm the spiritual chiropractor. And I say, all right, well, don't bend this way and don't lift that, strengthen this and strengthen that. But we lead, we guide, we direct, we instruct. That's one of the ways we have a leading, but it shouldn't be number one. And lazy Christians in charismatic circles, they exalt the preacher to the mystic and the guru. And that's not accurate either. There's a balance. You have two ditches you can fall into. Number one, you don't trust the preacher at all, and you think he's your employee. That's religion for you. That's from the pit of hell. Well, that's our preacher. Uh, we, our tithes, pays paycheck. He works for us. No, he doesn't work for you at all. He might serve you the word, but you're supposed to serve him as a deacon or an usher or an elder. He works for God, and he's way above you, buddy. The other ditch, we get into charismatic circles, we think they know everything. And we want to know, we want their permission before we buy a car. We want their permission before we wear a red dress. We want their permission before we eat out at McDonald's. We want, the, we want to know if they know what we know what we were thinking about yesterday. And we're terrified. of oh, That's weird. One's religious, one's the half demon. I don't know what you did yesterday, and I don't care. I don't know what you're doing tomorrow. And I don't mean to sound rude, but I don't really care. You enjoyed life. Walk with your God. I place preacher after the Holy Spirit for two reasons. Number one, every believer has been given the Holy Spirit to be with always. The preacher isn't with us always. The Holy Spirit is always with you. You can always be led by him. But I'm not always available, nor do I always want to be available to you. The beautiful thing about smartphones is they tell me who's calling. And if I don't have your number and it just shows up as a number, I ignore. And if it shows me your name and I don't want to talk to you, I ignore. Sometimes I don't choose to ignore. I just am busy. Sometimes I choose to ignore, and I'll let you sort that out on your own. <laughs> he didn't answer. Is he ignoring me today? I don't know. Did I answer? <laughs> Dr. Barclay told a story. He said he was uh, overseas. I think he might have been in Israel preaching, and they had an issue at his home church, and they frantically worked to get a hold of him. The way he told the story, it sounded like it was years ago when it was not so easy to get a hold of people overseas. They worked frantically to get a hold of him. said, Pastor, what do we do in this situation? This is falling apart. He said, you know what, guys? I don't know. I'm not there. But if I were to get the answer, I would probably do the same thing I'm about to tell you to do. Get in prayer, ask God, and then obey. Yeah, okay. So leave me out. Don't make me the middleman. You fixed it on your own. I'm in Israel. Bye hear from God. Quit making the pastor the guru. Quit making the pastor the mystic, um, the, you know, the prophetess, the, I don't know. We're not that. We're servants. We can help. We oversee. We're bishops over souls. Yes. 
We lead sheep, yes, but in the end, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. And I, sometimes I have permission to tell folks I wouldn't do that, and they do it anyway. And then they want me to fix their mess. Number two reason I put the Holy Spirit before preachers is because any good preacher or pastor wants the sheep to be more dependent on the Spirit of God than on the preacher. I don't want you dependent on me. I want your respect, sure. I want your honor, sure. I don't want your dependence. I said from day one when I took over this church, you will not ride my coattails. You must walk with Jesus for yourself. And if you don't, your life ends up like Cookville. And Cookville doesn't have anything to offer you. The sin of Cookville will put you in jail, make you an addict, ruin your life, make you a bastardizer with a bunch of illegitimate kids spread all over the place, scars, tattoos. You'll be the epitome of sin when you don't listen. But you've got to walk with God for yourself. John 2.27, we, we want you to know God better than you know us. We want you to know the voice of your God and his scriptures and his heart better than you know our voice and our word and our doctrine and our heart. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which you have received of Jesus, it abides in you. So you have an anointing. And you need not that any man teach you. That doesn't mean we don't have teachers, but it just means God wants to teach you too. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, teaches you of all things, it doesn't teach you all things, but it will teach you of all things, which means a portion. We all just know a part. The same anointing is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. You can tell when you're being taught by the anointing of God on your life because you abide closer with Jesus. And a lot of folks want to use that scripture to say, I don't need a pastor, I don't need a preacher. I got an anointing. I know all things. That scripture doesn't violate all the other scriptures about having pastors and elders and teachers and evangelists in your life. But you can tell when you're really being led by the Holy Spirit and being taught by him because you abide in him, which is one of the major themes of 1 John. Abide in him, abide in him, and abide in him. Remember that faith comes by hearing the word of God preached, but preached by who? By God's preacher, his oracle. 1 Peter 4.11 talks about his oracle. Now our last two will probably be a little bit different and new for you, and I don't want to spook you out, but I have to divide this because there is biblical foundation and basis for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't teach it at all, and I've experienced these other two. Uh, so anyway, if you've got the first five working in your life, you'll finish your race. The next two may never happen to you the rest of your life, and that'll be fine. Biblically, I was raised Baptist. They believe in like the first three. Well, they believe in the preacher too. They believe in wisdom. They believe in peace and they believe in the word. And that has done a fantastic job for the Southern Baptist, 42,000 churches and international mission board. If it weren't for the Baptist, half the world would be going to hell. Amen. Thank God for him. I'm glad I'm honored that that is my foundation. But the number six way we're led by God is by the word of the Lord what the Bible calls, quote, the word of the Lord. And the word Lord there in the Hebrew is Jehovah. Now, let me, let me fine-tune your doctrine. We don't have time to get into it tonight. We are Trinitarians. We're not Trinity theorists. We believe in a Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Three, God, uh, three persons in one God. It's a divine mystery. You can't, there's no good example. The H2O thing doesn't work because that's a heresy called modalism. When you say that God is like water, he's solid, liquid, and gas, that's called modalism. Three different modes. 
We try to use it, it doesn't work. Um, they try to use the four-leaf clover, or three-leaf clover, four-leaf clover would be something different. Three-leaf clover, uh, you have partialism. So you're making God a third this, a third that. That's a heresy as well. Partialism, you're dividing God into thirds. Then you have patripartialism. Then you have Sabellianism. You have all these heresies that the first four and 500 years of the church coughed up trying to explain what is a divine mystery. He is one God. Behold, Lord, your God is the God of Israel is but one Lord, one God. And yet we have three persons ascribed divinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay? When you hear or see the word Jehovah or Lord in the King James, L-O-R-D capitalized, that is speaking of the Lord Jesus. He is who is interacting with mankind throughout the Old Testament. He is who shows up. He is who shows Moses on Mount Horeb. He is who appears to Joshua in angelic form. Anytime you see an angel in the Bible allow himself to be worshipped, you're talking about the Lord. He was given the name Jesus at his birth. He isn't called Jesus until the Gospels. But he is the son begotten from the beginning, slain from the foundation of the world. But he ever was. So this is a divine mystery. We could spend weeks teaching on the Trinity and really come back and say, well, it's just a mystery. <laughs> because how do you explain that to our finite mind? You can't. So when it talks about the word of the Lord, what you're dealing with is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is not the Spirit, which is not the Father, it's the word of Jehovah, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is a term used over 225 times in the Old Testament. It is usually in reference to Jehovah speaking to his servants, the prophets. It is a much more authoritative word or leading than the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It is, that's, the only, that's the strongest distinction I can make. It's a lot more authoritative because the Lord is the head of the church. The Lord is the creator. Now, how did he create it? By the Holy Spirit. And this is where we start to, if we're not careful, we'll offend people because of a lack of understanding on the Trinity. But each member of the Trinity has a different role in God's dealings with mankind. I can already see some of you are bogging down and you're like, listen, I don't mean to insult you. You don't know your Bible well enough to disagree with me. I don't mean to insult you, but if you'd open up your ears and quit acting like you know everything, you might learn something. We have different gifts from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We have seven grace gifts of the Father listed in Romans 12. We have five gifts of the Son listed in Ephesians 4. We have nine gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12. So we have the Father, Son, and Spirit working differently in the dealings of mankind. You also see, the, uh, in the, even in the intercessions, according to Romans chapter 8, when we also uh, don't know how to pray for us, we, ought, we groan, the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he which searches the hearts, Jesus, knows what is the purpose of the Spirit, maketh intercession for us according to the will of the Father. So even in our self-intercession, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have different roles in how they're helping us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Just trust me when I tell you about three years ago, I thoroughly, thoroughly wrapped my mind around Trinitarianism to try to understand what's going on. 
And so when I write this way, I don't mean to ruffle your feathers. I mean to show you your ignorance so you'll be hungrier for God. All right. So the Lord Jesus, or the Lord, he wasn't known as Jesus until Joseph and Mary were told by the angel, you will call his name Jesus, which was a very common name, by the way. It's the name Joshua. The Hebrew word's Yeshua. He was known as Jehovah, the Lord, the self-existent one. He would speak to his prophets with authority. Now, yes, they were anointed of the Holy Spirit. Again, that becomes the mystery. They all work together, and it's all according to the will of the Father. This is why we should be studying our Bible and quit wasting your life on Facebook. Who cares what your cousin ate at the buffet last night? No restraint there. The Lord, the word of the Lord would come into his prophets to command and direct his people. It was very authoritative. And it is more authoritative than a word or a leading than the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the prophet Elijah, Elijah, he had the word of the Lord constantly. But when he ran and backslid and he's on Mount Horeb, looking for the old move of God, looking for yesterday's Pentecost. Behold, a whirlwind, but God was not in the whirlwind. But God had been in whirlwinds, but not this one. Behold, the fire. God had been in fires, but he wasn't in this one. These are all supernatural moves. They're just not God. That means they're counterfeit. That means they're demonic. Behold, an earthquake. God has been in earthquakes, but he wasn't in this one. It was counterfeit. And behold, the still small voice that said, what are you doing here? different than the word of the Lord. You may live your whole life and never hear the word of the Lord, and that's okay. You got five other ways to be dead on accurate. Though the Holy Spirit does speak to us on behalf of the Lord Jesus, there are times when the Lord Jesus does this thing or does things from his own authority. Let me show you. Come with me to the book of Acts. Verse 3, Paul journeyed. And came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Now is this the voice of the Holy Spirit? No. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. This is not the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You don't get any more authoritative than God, the Lord Jesus, God the Son, saying, Who are you? I am Jesus. Word of the Lord right there. Very prime example played out. Look at uh, verse 10. Same thing. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord, not the Holy Spirit, the Lord in the vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into a, a street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil is done to the saints at Jerusalem, and he hath authority uh, from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. Notice he's not talking to the Holy Spirit here. But the Lord said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel, and I will show him how many things or great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Another example of the word of the Lord. 
And here's another example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now again, the mystery is it's one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But if you'll study John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, you will see there is an arrangement, and I even hate to use that word, but there is an arrangement among the Trinity. Jesus said, I have come to do thy will, O Lord, O Father. Not your will, my will be done. So the Son is submitted to the Father. And then in John 16, Jesus said, I will send the Spirit, or my Father will send the Spirit in my name, and he will hear of me and show it unto you. And whatsoever is mine, I will give it to him, and he'll give it to you. But he said, Jesus, but I received it from the Father. So go sort that out in your Trinity doctrine, if you ever thought any about it, other than the little cool little Celtic little triangle knot that everybody loves. Oh, it's so Celtic, and it's so Trinitarian. We don't have a, like Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you don't have a clue what you worship. So that I, bah, 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 Lord, have mercy on me. I just, I'm a fleshy pot of clay. Have mercy on me in my ignorance. Oh, I wonder who's on Facebook. Oh, look at that encouraging word this morning. That is shallow, shallow Christianity. You spend any time with God? I get this daily devotional sent to me on Facebook. Shallow. Better than nothing you were doing last week, but shallow. You were on the beach, now you're ankle deep. Yay, you. The prophet said, get out over your head in the water. 1 Corinthians 7.10, Paul said, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So now we have a word of the Lord. All gospel, all scriptures are God-breathed or spirit-inspired, but here we have a direct word of the Lord. He said, here's a commandment from the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. So these are just some examples. There are others. There's countless others. We'll get into it more with our curriculum. So that brings us to number seven. And again, we got more to cover, but maybe this will entice you to come back uh, for Sunday school to see what I might actually know that I've never taught you before. <laughs> there's, I just think, there's this kung fu movie one time. I used to watch kung fu movies. I don't know if I saw this one or a friend of mine was telling me about, but it doesn't matter. Here's the heart of it. The kung fu sensei, that's Japanese. The sifu, that's Chinese. The sifu has to fight his number one student. The sifu, the student has, uh, not sifu, that's some of you losing restraint. <laughs> sifu means teacher or master in Chinese. So he has to fight his number one student, and his student has become a tremendous warrior, and they have to face off. And so he says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to kill you, Sifu. And uh, he says, what makes you think you're a match for me? He says, because you've taught me everything I know. And the Sifu owns him, defeats him, and says, I taught you everything you know, but not everything I know. Amen. Number seven You'll live, you could live your whole life and never hear this. This is the supreme voice of the Father. I don't know what else to call it. There might be a theological term. But the supreme voice of God the Father speaking from heaven. God is in his throne. Now to twist your mind a little bit further, he's not in the earth. The Holy Spirit's in the earth. The Lord Jesus is not in the earth. He has ascended to the right hand of thee. And who did he send back into the earth? Yeah, see, there's like 90-something verses, I think, that talk about the sun ascending. We looked at it a couple years ago because you guys were scoffing at me because I kept saying the Lord's not in the earth. What? Jesus himself said, behold, I go. I leave you. Where do you think he went? To Compton? 
Detroit. I'm going to Baxter. See you guys in the millennial. Oh, he said, I leave. Again, he's the Trinity. He's God. He's here in the presence of the Holy Ghost in the person. It's a mystery, but we can look at these things. The scriptures reveal that the utterances and declarations of God the Father are different in nature and occurrence than the Lord's or the Holy Spirit's. Granted, they are the Trinity, one God but three persons, but each member of the Trinity has a different role and operation concerning mankind. Do you realize that you consume God's operations? That ought to make you feel important. Now, he can handle all of it, but he says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. And David said, his thoughts are countless, innumerable. I cannot even count the thoughts God has for me. Consider the Lord's baptism by John. God the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus the Son as God the Father spoke from heaven. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. That's the Father speaking from heaven. And uh, the Bible says until that time the heavens had been shut up and the word of the Lord did not exist in the earth. From the end of Malachi to this time 400 years later, God had not spoken. Also consider, and I just went over this briefly, the Trinity's role in our self-intercession. Uh, in Romans 8, 26 through 27, Jesus searches our heart, directing the purpose of the Holy Spirit as he, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us according to the will of the Father. There's different roles in how they work with us. Did the Holy Spirit die for you on the cross? Did the Father die for you on the cross? The Son died for you on the cross. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And yet, when you're Holy Ghost filled, Jesus baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is who the Father sent in the name of the Son. So how in the world anybody can be a oneness Pentecostal? I have no idea. That refers to denying the Trinity. Do I make your head spin with this easy knowledge of scriptures? Are you ashamed that you don't study your Bible more than you do? All right. I'm not trying to wow you. I'm still picking up my pieces from canceling a Nairobi trip. My mind's still spinning from that. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, I'll read it to you. God the Father. Now look, watch this. God the Father. Now it doesn't say the Father, but God. It doesn't say the Lord. It says God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, so at different times and in different methodologies, spake in times past unto the fathers, that's the patriarchs, by the prophets, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he had the pointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, I, this doesn't make me anything special, and I'll tell you this story because I have permission to, though I'm a little nervous about it. I have heard, I, I'm led by the Holy Spirit because I pastor, but I've always been led by the Holy Spirit since I was taught to. I'm a student of the Word, have been since I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and fell in love with God. I didn't really love him as a kid when you get saved because you don't know to. You just, you know, you go to church and do the Sunday school thing because that's what you do. But I rededicated my life at 18 and then got spirit-filled at 19 and, and began to devour the word. But I have heard the authoritative verse of God from heaven only twice. And the last time was in, it was in August of 96. But the first time was in February of 95. 
Now, part of my story I've never told you guys is that I was molested at 14 by a deacon in our church. Now, compared to some of the stuff I've helped people with, my thing was nothing big at all. But when your parents trust a deacon and you trust a deacon and, and he takes advantage of you, that messes with the kid. Now, thank God I was born again. And so, uh, thankfully, I was rebellious enough to bring it to his attention and threaten to burn his house down. And my, we confronted him, mom and dad, and he and his wife. And I was able to look at his wife and said, your husband's a pervert. He touched me. And, of course, he denied it. This was 1991 or two. If it were today, I would burn his house down by calling the cops. And honestly, with the whole hashtag me too thing, I've really thought about calling the cops out there. I used to want vengeance. Now I just want justice, and I'm not really sure what to do with it, but that's my thing. And the whole thing happened because my parents were chasing the 80s yuppie career. They were busy with their careers, and so they were distracted. And you trust deacons, especially when they have everything in common that your dad does and water ski and snow ski and backpack and everything that I was into. Anyway, he was just a predator. Um, so coming into college, I'm backslidden. And this thing's bubbling up, and I'm full of a lot of hate and anger. And so I really, I got into ju ju judo and jujitsu to kill this man. I've told that part of the story. Uh, I wanted to go back out there and kill him. And then as I learned judo and jujitsu, I didn't want to kill him. I just wanted to dismember him. Not actually cut him into pieces, but you learn key locks, wrist locks, hyperextensions, elbow locks, uh, elbow torques. You learn how to dislocate elbows, dislocate hips, dislocate shoulders. And this feeds an 18-year-old's vicious, vengeful mindset. And so in February of 95, it was very cold, and I'm coming home from judo to Browning Dormitory, and I've just learned how to dislocate another body part, and this feeds the daydream of vengeance. And I realized sometime my freshman year, I don't want to kill him. I'll go to jail for that. But I will swim out to his lake house, and I will sink his boat, and I will break him down like a rag doll and leave him on the deck. That was my daydream. I was consumed of this. I'm coming home from judo, pulling into Browning Dormitory because I went to tech. And I got my, it's cold, it's February. I got my judo gi wrapped up and I'm daydreaming and I step up on the, on the sidewalk there of Browning Evans dorm and I'm walking and I hear, a vo I'm backslidden. I not go to church. I haven't gone to church in like almost a year. I'm, I'm a, my mouth is saucy. I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm daydreaming about violent acts. I'm carnal. I'm a backslidden Baptist kid. And I hear a voice speak from behind me, from heaven, with arresting authority. In fact, it paralyzed me. I didn't like, it just it caused me to stop in my tracks. But the voice said, as I'm daydreaming about killing this man for molesting me, not killing him, but breaking his body down, the voice said, if it had not been for my, the blood of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be a homosexual today. That's all he said. If it had not been for the blood of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be a homosexual today. And I instantly knew two things. Number one, I needed to forgive that man. Number two, I needed to get right with God. And then my third thought was, what is the blood of Jesus? Because I didn't, hadn't been taught that in Baptist. Now, the Baptists have a strong doctrine. I just had never picked it up. I wonder what the blood of Jesus is. But it also reminded me, I knew I'd been born again since I was seven and he was telling me the mercy of God kept me from being a homosexual because one of the best ways to make homosexuals is to molest children. Because homosexuality is a demon. It's not a life choice. It's a demon. It's a demonic possession. 
that is transferred through trauma or exposing yourself to vileness. That's what the Lord spoke to me. So I heard that voice from heaven. It, it didn't even shock me. I knew whose voice it was. I was, it was God, but it wasn't until probably seven or eight years ago until I realized, wait, that was God the Father because he said, my son, the Lord Jesus. I went, wow, I heard from God the Father. Now, I, you know, I always heard from God, but we just kind of lump everything together. And so that was February. I rededicated my life spring break that year. And actually, that was when I started shaving my head. I kind of did it, didn't understand. Not that there's any spiritual connotation. I just wanted a fresh start. So I I had long hair with a ponytail in those days, shaved it all off, and began studying my Baptist Bible, and then began hopping to churches, because that's what immature people do when they're looking for one. They hop. But I eventually got here a year later. So I rededicated my life during Easter, spring break, and then ended up in this church a year later. Got spirit-filled about a year later. So... Uh, in August of 96, we went to the Benny Hinn crusade. A bunch of us, Jenny Harris was with us, and uh, Bobby Scudder was with us, and um, uh, Melody uh, Redman was with us, and myself and Jeff Fugit, and then some other folks. And I was driving back. We'd driven all night, and we wrecked the car, and we, we rolled it like for 150 yards. We rolled the car and flipped it end on the end with five people in it. A lot of you were here in the church in those days. And so we totaled the car. I fell asleep driving at 5 a.m. coming into Clarksville from St. Louis because we went to this Benny Hinn crusade, which my parents hated because they thought we were a cult anyway. And Benny Hinn was definitely a cult leader. <laughs> he was a charlatan in those days, everybody thought. We had a great time and God moved and touched people. But we fell asleep and the back of the car was crushed to within like eight or 10 inches of the seat. We had the three girls in the back and had they not been laying down, they would have been killed, especially Melody. The uh, Melody's door was cut in half and ripped off. Every tire was broken. The engine block was broken. Every window was broken, but my window, every window was out except for my window in the dash. And I had my foot up in the dash because I was driving like this, trying to get the cold air to blow down my leg to keep me awake. So when the car is done, we drove off. The road was curving. I fell asleep and drove off into the median and hit the guardrail and did this number. So we spiraled. And when, when it was all said and done, we went back and looked at it. I hung out there for several hours waiting for the state troopers to come, and everybody else was taking the emergency room. The car all of a sudden comes out of the median, lands in the inside lane of traffic, and then there's nearly horizontal skid marks where it's pushed to the outside lane of traffic. Now, you think about the force it takes to do that, to move a car where there's horizontal. Well, they weren't perfectly horizontal. They were about 30-degree angle like this, pushed to the outside under a bridge. After we've exerted all of our energy over 150 yards of tumbling and then out of interstate traffic, far enough over that I can get out and walk around and nobody's worried. The car stops. My toes are dangling out the window of the windshield but I have nothing wrong with me but a little nick on my right shin. Jeff Fugit's okay. He lives in Jackson, Tennessee now, married to Kasha. And in the back, everything's squished. Everybody's okay. Everybody's yelling. It's frantic. But I get out of the car, and uh, I'm trying to figure out what just happened. I think we wrecked. And I look at the car, and I'm like, whoa, that's bad. That ain't driving away. But I heard, I heard the same voice from heaven, and all I, heard, all I heard God the Father say, it wasn't the inward witness. I'd been spirit-filled at this point. I knew to be led by God. This was, this was the same voice that said, if it had not been for uh, the blood of my son, the Lord Jesus, you'd be a homosexual today. I hear a voice say, um, my hand is on you mightily. 
And that's all he said. And I remember thinking, I would agree. That's pretty mine right there. <laughs> but I want us to understand we're not just led by the Holy Spirit. That kind of limits it. We're led by the Word. We're led by wisdom. We're led by peace. We're led by uh, pastors and teachers. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Lord Jesus, the Word of the Lord. And then there can come an occasion where God the Father would speak to you. We don't even see him do it much with the Lord Jesus. Now, again, I'm not Jesus, so don't think anything spectacular about me. But that does have the ability to happen. And we want to teach it because the Bible tells us to rightly divide these things. And I'm a scientist by training, so I like to divide things to further explain it to you. And when we're all said no with this teaching, we'll just lump it all back. What did the Holy Spirit say? I'll tell you, Pastor, don't get on that airplane. There was just a lack of peace that said don't get on the airplane. Amen. Having a relationship with the Creator of all things means that you can expect to be led by Him. And I say this as an exhortation and encouragement. Be prepared for an improved life as a Christian as we'll study how to be led by God, not just the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God. The word, God, the wisdom, God, the peace, God through his preachers, etc. Amen. We learn anything?